Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. This is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. Galatians 2, 1 to 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took titles also. I took titles along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And uh, thank you, sister, for that reading. All right. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, nice to see us all, particularly if you are here for the first time. Uh, so happy to see you. Or if you are returning for the second time. My name is Femi, and we have been going through a series, a sermon series in the book of Galatians. And we're going through the entire book, so this is the fourth in that. So you're welcome. Um, we're still early in, the, in it, so we're so happy to have you. Now, for, before we get into the message, can I ask that we just pray and lift, up, um, lift our eyes to God. Lord, we need you, um, um, as you have been with us throughout this series, um, we, we need you to speak to us. So um, we can't understand things on our own. I certainly can't communicate things on my own. And so, Lord, I, I pray that um, your Holy Spirit's presence will be with us. I pray also that there will be an entrance of light uh, through your word. Lord, I pray that through this, oh God, you will break chains. I pray, Lord God Almighty, that you will deliver many people, oh God, um, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. And I should say welcome to those also who are viewing online. 
Um, I don't know how many of us are married here. I am, and I've got kids. And I do have a problem with schools of nowadays, I have to be frank, right? I always like to see this place as a bit of a therapy, therapeutic brain session. And, and the schools of nowadays, it's, it's, it's okay. Okay, they already charge exorbitant fees. And I was just going to say to all the teachers here, absolutely no apologies for what I'm going to say. Right, they already charge exorbitant fees. Abdul is not bad enough. They will still be asking us for donations of different kinds. Donate books, and like, what happened to the book levy that we paid? Right, they are going on excursion. Can't, couldn't you take from the money that we paid? You, we still have to pay for the excursion, do all of those things. But I understand that. It's a business. It's fine. But then you have this fascination with costumes. Kilo D. Like, they, you'll be doing role play. So like, for instance, there is, um, uh, 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 at the end of, at least my children's school, at the end of, um, the, end of the year concert, right? They have to have, they, they'll be dressed as people from a particular country. Country. Like my children have just, uh, uh, Argentina, um, uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, and we have two children. There was one, Greece. Like, it's like, where are we going to find these things? But that one is not enough. There is the one of this different, every throughout one year. There is the one of what do you want to be when you grow up? Okay, if they already know what they are going to be, if he dressed as a doctor this year, what should we dress as next year? He doctor, but no, <laughs> you keep dressing. So we buy all these costumes. What are they going to do with it after? It's all for one day, just for the children to feel good. And then there is the World Book Day. World Book Day. And that one, they are meant to also dress up as some kind of world leader, some kind of character, you know, that they have, that uh, they want to emulate. And so when that time comes, you know, it's always a crisis for my wife and I. Because we are thinking, who should they emulate? You know, it can be somebody that is dead or somebody that is living. And so we are thinking, should it be Galileo or should it be Gandhi? Should it be Gandalf or should it be Gaddafi? You understand? Like, we're thinking of great leaders, right? So, because some of my children, you think like that Gaddafi thing is actually, is up. But we then figured it out one day. Light bulb moment. We don't have girls. We don't have girls. So this whole thing about, you, do you have to go and buy glasses and Akara, you know, so that they look like Okonjo Iweala, challenge, all that. You don't have to think about all of those things. So we just figured out one day, I looked at my son. I said, you're a guy and you are black. You will be Barack. <laughs> and so from there, it was Barack Obama everything. Every year, it was Barack Obama. He wears a, a nice shirt, he wears trousers, and he may wear a tie, Barack Obama. If they ask you, Barack Obama. Now, the problem is I have two children, Tofumi and Timilei. So when it was time for Timilei to start doing that, that was last week. So like, what do we do? So Timilei is now Barack Obama. Tofumi, on the other hand, went as Abraham Lincoln, 16th president of the United States. And they have to be able to tell the people why they are dressed as this person. So I was telling Tofumi, this is why you are Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. And just like for some of you here, he had problems pronouncing those two words together. Um, but I told him he fought to end slavery in the United States as president. Now, this led to a civil war within the country between the North who wanted the slaves to be free, and the South, who wanted to keep the slaves. Now, in this, they were divided. 
Because the North didn't just want the slaves to be free. They wanted the Union, the United States, to remain the same, whereas the South wanted to go and form their own Confederate States of America. And so the question becomes, was Abraham Lincoln a uniter or a divider? And really, it depends. Because you see, he wanted unity around human dignity. He wanted unity around people not keeping and making slaves. He was prepared, though, to divide when you don't agree with that. In other words, Abraham Lincoln was a uniter and a divider for the purpose of emancipation. And that tension is exactly what we find here. Because when you look at verse 4 and 5 of what Tosin read for us, Paul said that there were people that tried to infiltrate this church that I was leading, and we did not give them a moment because they wanted to make us slaves. But the context in which he's saying all of this is him trying to show the Galatian people that he was united with the Jerusalem apostles. In other words, Paul was a uniter and divider for the purpose of emancipation. And you know, sadly, today, even within the church, there are those who will preach messages that will bring us into slavery. I mean, times we're filled with, you know, because maybe you subscribe to podcasts here and there, we get people are sending you different messages. And the question is, how do we resist the enslavers? Of course, if you look at this passage, you have your answer. We should be united and united, we should be united in and divided for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what this sermon is going to be about. And I'm hoping that as we go through it, we'll be equipped, really, to understand how to resist not just enslaving messages, but those who will enslave us. I don't know if you were here last week, but this week I do want to say that the message is different. This one is more a teaching rather than, um, you know, preaching. So I've called this Resisting Enslavers. Tomiwa did not like the, the title, but he didn't come up with a better one. And so if you do, you don't like it, you're not the one preaching. Resisting Enslavers, that's what we're going with, all right? But we'll, go, we'll look at it under three headings. One, gospel recognition for unity. Two, gospel preservation for liberty. And three, gospel implication for credibility. All right? Gospel recognition for unity, gospel preservation for liberty, and gospel implication for credibility. So let's go into the passage. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Very interesting. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went to response to Revelation and... Meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. What's Paul saying? Last week he was trying to, we saw that he was giving this narrative, this story, because people were saying that he was a rogue apostle. He started off with the Jerusalem guys who confirmed his ministry and now he's going on his own. And so he had to show that he started giving a story to refute that. And we're still, he's still giving the story. He's still giving that this last week's sermon, this sermon, and next week's sermon. And so in this section, we notice that he's, in last week, he was playing his, um, down his association with the Jerusalem apostles. 
this week actually, he's playing up his association with them, at least moderately, for another purpose. And what was that? First of all, we see that he wanted to be sure that he was not running and had not run and not be, um, he was not running and had not been running his race in vain. What race? What running? What, what did he need from these people to be sure? Now, here's what we know. This thing cannot mean running the race in vain. It cannot mean to, at least two things. It cannot mean that he it cannot mean he was seeking permission from them for two reasons. Right? He wasn't seeking permission. The first reason is this. Remember last week in 112, he said he wanted, he was telling this story to show that his message was not from human beings. Neither was he taught that message. So in other words, he can't say he's seeking permission from human beings about this message. And in 2 verse 6, if you look down, it says there that through the end, he says, they added nothing to my message. So it couldn't have been that. Secondly, if it was that he needed permission, why did he wait for 14 years to go and meet them? So preach heresy, preach what you are not sure about for 14 years, then now go and seek permission. So we understand that the running in vain was not about that. What was it? It was that Paul was concerned that his ministry efforts, his ministry labor could be destroyed if the Jerusalem apostles did not accept that he was preaching the truth. That is, the, a lot of the people around had known that the church started right in Jerusalem. And there were these apostles that walked with the Lord. They assumed that Paul is preaching to them that he's in line with those guys. And so all the efforts that he had been making, the ministries that he had built up, they were now a threat if it was that those people said, this guy was not preaching the message. In other words, Paul was not seeking permission he was seeking recognition. Look at verse 7. It says, as on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel. Or verse 9, it says that, is it verse 9? Yeah, verse 9 said, they gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that is agreement, and they recognized the grace given to me. In other words, here Paul is saying, last week I was saying that, no, I didn't get my message from them. And you can see that I went to all these places before I went to Jerusalem. This week he's saying they recognize. We are united in the message that we preached. That is his defense. And that brings me to that word, unity. If you look at the church today, for people who are not Christians, maybe you're watching, I know a Christian or you're here. Or even some of us Christians, you've often wondered, the church does really seem divided. Well, I assure you what I said was true. That was not a judgment from God. All right. The church really does look divided, right? It seems like this person is preaching this one, and that one is preaching this one. And they are not agreeing. It seems like you have one denomination here or another denomination here. How do we, shouldn't we be united? Now, what this passage teaches us is this. Very important. You mustn't forget. There is a kind of unity and a kind of division that are both necessary. There's a kind of unity and a kind of division that are both necessary. Look at verse 7 to 8 and 9b. See what Paul says. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter 
was, had been to the circumcised. For God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. The final part of verse 9. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Seems like going in different directions, right? You can see it. Circumcised, uncircumcised. And the question becomes, oh, so Paul was going one different message, one message to the uncircumcised. Peter then going with another message to the circumcised. Is this what's happening? Is this what's bringing the division? Is this, this division okay? Well, let me illustrate with these two pictures what the point is. I want you to ask, these are two profound pictures, and I want you to spot what is the difference between these, this is the conundrum, right? What's the difference between these two things? First one is that, and the second one is that. Look at it very carefully, because I know some of us, it's hard for us to be able to grasp this thing. The first one again, look at that. And what is, how about the second one? Ignore the pepper spices and those wonderful looking onions in that palm oil. Just ignore that. That other thing. What is the difference between the two of them? Eh? Shape. Well, so because of the shape, what's the difference? What's, what, what made this is presentation? It's about presentation. Somebody said packaging. Packaging, you know, eh, okay. Say more now. Eh? Who's asking for taste? See this guy. That's why you're like this. Look at you. I knew, I knew how you were when I met you. <laughs> See the guy. So some people say packaging, they were not cooked in the same thing, were they? One was done in leaf, away. the other one was done in a tin, right? Right? Taste aside, right? They were done in different containers, but is the content the same? Because moi moi is always what? Moi moi. The container may be different, but the content is what? The same. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul did not say in verse 7 that God gave me one gospel to preach to the uncircumcised and Peter another gospel. He said, God gave me the right to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised and the same gospel Peter is going to preach to what? The circumcised. Do you understand? In other words, they had a unity in their message. Why is that important? It's because of this. Despite the context that we have, the problem with humanity is the same. And therefore, irrespective of the context, the solution has to be the same. Sin is the problem that affects all of us, and therefore you need one gospel to address that sin. Sin gives us one bad news eventually, and the gospel gives us what? One good news. But notice, sin affects us diversely. And so, the gospel has to also come to a diverse context. The way sin has affected the uncircumcised is not always the same way it will be expressed in the circumcised. And therefore, it is impossible for you to preach the same gospel in the same way to the circumcised and to the uncircumcised. It is impossible or not right for you to preach the same gospel, right, to a people in a rural audience and people in an urban context in the same way. Because the content is one thing, but the context is another. Maybe I can show you this again. You see, because Teddy is here, let me use food again. You know, it doesn't really matter how well you prepare your jollof rice, right? Your jollof rice right, in, in, in your pot at home. Your pot may be, it may be one of these 
scam pots that they sell for one million naira. You know, some of these people they say the tasting of the thing, if it tastes differently, come and pay one million. It cannot be, it, no matter how much, that rice that you cook, no matter how good it looks, it can never ever be like party jollof rice that is cooked, right? You know, in that pot with the, with the um, firewood. Do you understand? There is a taste in party jollof rice. You'll be like, ah, this thing must be divine. Do you understand? There's a smell. Now, don't get it wrong. It's the same jollof rice, but the pot, the container, has given it a different flavor. Do you understand? So even the context has a way of affecting the content without corrupting the content. You see, there's a way you can preach to people in a certain audience the same message, but it has a kind of flavor to it. That is why when you read Paul and you read Peter, they don't always sound the same, even though they are saying the same thing. The gospel can be preached the same way, but to a, divided, uh, to a different audiences. And that shows the unity of the gospel. Because the danger that these people had was not unity. It was, uh, the danger that these people, um, the people that were inf infiltrating, what they weren't bringing was, they weren't bringing unity, they were bringing uniformity. As long as the message is the same, we can unite if it is different contexts. But there is a division that needs to be had because though unity is a good thing, we must always ask, at what expense? Unity can never be totally absolute. So we see unity among Jerusalem and Paul, but what about in verse 4 and 5? Paul said, no, there are some people we have to divide them. I was going to divide against them. Because the message they were bringing was one of uniformity. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, we see one of the clear ways they were preaching. They said something like this. They said, um, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They weren't just uniting around the gospel. They were right, saying you must, be, you, you must be uniform around the customs taught by Moses. Why is, let me explain this a little bit. If I parade a group of secondary or primary school students in front of you, maybe on assembly ground, when you look at them, what do you notice? In appearance, they all look what? The same, isn't it? Why do they look the same? They are what? Because of what? Uniform. Uniformity. In other words, they are going to look the same irrespective of where they are coming from, irrespective of who their parents are, irrespective of how they woke up that morning, and therefore, the way you teach them is also going to be very uniform. You must come at, this, we are, uh, 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 you must come at the same time, right, all of you before this time. We all go to assembly together. Then after you ring the bell, I don't know whether they ring bells nowadays, you go for this class. We are in this same class. We attend this class together. We attend that class together. We attend that class together. Uniformity. But in the university, nine o'clock, ah, um, I don't feel like going for this class. You know? You are called layabouts. That's what I'm seeing some of you here. You are about. Right? You wake up this morning, I don't feel like going for this class. The next day, you'll not be like, hey, I think I'm going to go for the class. In other words, you have a little bit of freedom. So when you and this other person are in that class, it wasn't because you are forced to be uniform. Remember, you're not even wearing, you're wearing different clothes in your university. Is there any university where they wear the same clothes? Because I know, uh, uni Laurie, okay, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, now what would you expect? 
but no except yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's understandable. Okay. So in university, you're not wearing the same thing. In other words, you have freedom to choose. So that when you come to the same class, coming from different contexts, you have unity. Because for you to have unity, you need the freedom to choose. Do you understand? Uniformity puts, fixes people in the same box. Unity set allows the freedom for them to choose. These people are saying, not only should you believe this, you must also practice this, and you must practice this, and you must practice this. And Paul said, while some of you are thinking they are zealous for holiness, these are dangerous people. They are not zealous, they are dangerous. Because false teaching, false teaching, why is it so bad? When we swallow false teaching, it will be something like this. Imagine you wanted to go out, and a headache was preventing you from going out, right? The headache is hampering your freedom from going out. What do normal people do? What will you do so that you can go out? Paracetamol, you take uh, a painkiller to give you the freedom. So imagine you take the paracetamol, you take your, let's say you used to put it inside one of these uh, jars, and so you take it, you take the tooth, boom, ah, you're happy. And something just moves you. The Holy Spirit moves you to look at what, ah, and you now say, ah, it's not panadolo, it's a, a laxative. You say, ah, Abby, because that ah is asking this question. Will you have freedom from the headache or will you have enslavement to the toilet? Do you understand what I mean? Right? This is what happens when we swallow falsehoods. You think you will get spiritual nourishment and freedom. Instead, what you get is spiritual diarrhea and spiritual slavery. And Paul said, for that, we will not give them one moment. This gospel of uniformity is very dangerous. We still have it today. Some people, maybe you're a guy, it's that same thing that he said, if you are truly going to be converted as a Christian, as a guy, you must always have your hair clean shaved and, you know, level and all of that. In other words, people like Dami are going to hell. <laughs> what kind of dreadlocks? Or Piquet that is actually putting a durag on you. What is that? You can't really be saved unless, yes, you, be, you believe this, but you must add that as well. For the ladies, because obviously we're an equal opportunity offender church, right? <laughs> the ladies, it says... They say you can be saved, but you cannot wear any top that shows your shoulder. Actually, this service is the holy one, actually. <laughs> because last service, the last service, you could spot out one or two people that were there. Right? So we always add these things. And some people say there are levels in Christianity. There are levels. Sure, you understand. You can just be a normal Christian, but there is zeal. There is this zealousness. Paul is saying you are not zealous. You are dangerous. And on top of that, Paul says, when we have that one, we must divide. So get this and understand it. In summary, what he's saying is you unite over one gospel and dif in different contexts and you divide over different gospels even if it's the same context. Did you get that? We unite over one gospel even though it's in different contexts, but we divide over different gospels even if it is the same context. To which you then say, okay, yeah, but are you sure you're not pushing this too much? Because I'm not sure I see, hey, okay, this seems like a lot of talk for the argument, but I need something, I need something practical. How do I know the Jerusalem apostles really did agree with Paul? I need something tangible. I'm a practical guy. I only see practical examples, really. Okay. That takes me to my second point. 
gospel preservation for liberty. Maybe I can prove this. Now, I want to ask some of us, have you eaten, um, what's on this plate? Have you eaten this thing before? If you've eaten this, uh, this picture that's coming up. <laughs> and, uh, have you eaten it? Yeah. Yeah, it's not nice. I, it's all, last service, they were really like, personally for me, like, if you put this thing in some kind of tomato sauce with pepper, you know, some kind of stew, you know, it's, it, if you take that and you do it very well, you take it with yam, for instance. Oh my God, you see, you, you feel it a bit. Like, oh my, I feel like I'm having church in here. You know, if you take it with yam, right, you put it in there, but the best, when you take this one, the best is with agege bread, honestly. And I'm not talking about, you know what agege bread is? Agege bread with full bromate, the one that you, you it'll be like, it's like a, a elastic a rubber band. It can even come back like that. That kind of bread, you put it, this thing is wonderful. I, I, are the memories all coming up now? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, some of you have stepped up. So this year, it was nostalgia. You know, you know this one again. You eat proper mackerel, forget that one. The one I don't understand is that some, of, some people combine this thing. It's like, what is wrong with you? This thing has enough oil, and you still think you can mix it with butter and then use it to make some kind of sandwich. What is that? And you'll be complaining about the pimples that are all over your face. But here's the thing. If you've eaten this thing before, uh, hands up, if you've eaten it before. If you are, good, good. You are not going to heaven. You, you are not. If you, okay, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. All right, please play this video. So that you know. No, you continue taking vitamin C. Bet it, you can't make it. How can you make it? Unless you go and stop it and do your deliverance. Is it not ascorbic? Ascorbic acid is not product anywhere on earth. Ascorbic acid came direct from the deep sea. Some of you to see they take a jatitos. You can't make them while you are eating titus fish. You can't make them also. You must go for deliverance. All right, all of you that rose your hand up, stand up now. I want to minister deliverance to you. You can't. As far as she is concerned, Titus is proof of your condemnation. But according to Paul, Titus is proof that the true gospel brings salvation. Verse 3. Look at what he said. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Paul is saying, and what is he saying? Titus was Greek. Barnabas was Jewish. So when they brought Titus along, and it seems like, because he says, me and Barnabas. But he then said, and I brought Titus. Titus came along well. So it almost seems like it was deliberate. Because they will have known once this Greek guy is here, that this guy is uncircumcised. And Paul is saying to those people that have this gospel that you must be believe, but also be circumcised, why didn't they actually tell me that I must circumcise Titus? To which you say, eh, maybe they were just not feeling, they didn't want to upset Titus or some, something. And isn't it, isn't it too much of a stretch to think that Paul would actually have to circumcise Titus? Like, has he ever even thought of that? In Acts 15, that I quoted, that he said that the that people were preaching the message that you have to be circumcised. This cause, this was about three years after this. This caused a huge uproar now in the church. And they said, we have to settle this thing once and for all. So in Acts chapter 15, a council was called 
to look at this matter. All the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem, Paul, Barnabas, a number of them went to look at this thing. At the end of that council, they came up with a conclusion, and there was a letter written that said that if you are not Jewish, you are not going to be compelled to be circumcised. So Paul now, armed with that, we all know now, from all the churches all around, you don't have to be circumcised, you have to believe the gospel. So Paul is now going in Acts chapter 16 to different regions. At some point, he meets a guy called Timothy. Timothy's father is Greek, the mother is Jewish. Now Paul, in verse 3 of 16, is going with that message, armed with that, you don't have to be circumcised, look at what Paul did. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he was circumcised him because of the Jews. Now notice, Paul circumcised him. And Paul is saying, Titus, what is happening here? Because is the important thing. Here he says, it is because of the Jews that were living in the area. These Jews were not Christians. Paul was going there to preach the gospel to them to become Christians. Whereas in the Galatian issue, what is happening here is that these are people that will call themselves Christians and say that the message requires circumcision. Listen, there is a difference between hindering the gospel and perverting the gospel. Here, Paul is saying, if we got into this region, we want to minister to these Jews, the first thing they'll be like, this person is Greek, all of those things, and that becomes a stumbling block. I will not even be able to get the message across. So what do I do? I circumcise this guy so that that's not a hindrance. But we still preach this message eventually that says you don't need circumcision. But in this issue, these are people that are actually trying to contaminate. They are trying to pervert the gospel. And he's saying if we allow that to happen, then nobody will be saved. Do you get the difference? Paul is saying that I can go with the gospel freedom. I can go to somebody who is, he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, somebody who is under the law, that is somebody who is Jewish, I became as one under the law. But to those who are without the law, that is a Gentile, I became as one who was without the law. Why? He said, I have become all things to all men so that by any means I may win all. I may win them some to Christ. In other words, Paul is saying at that point, when I'm trying to minister to people to bring gospel, I don't want a hindrance. But he's saying that it is that gospel alone that has the power for salvation. And so I will divide with people that want to contaminate with that gospel. Do you understand what he's saying? And so Paul is saying, Titus is my proof. That this gospel I'm preaching is the same that these Jerusalem people have. And therefore, guys, listen, this is why we have to know this gospel because this same gospel, if it is assumed in one generation, it becomes ineffective in that generation and is lost in the generation after. Many of us have known the gospel, we've heard it, but we don't talk about it. It's like, it's like some figurine in our house. And so we never go back to it. And so we go through problems in life. We go through many big questions. And we can't recall the gospel. That is why we have to say it again for ourselves. And if we don't, also the generation that comes after you lose it. And that is why Paul is saying to, to combat the perversion of the gospel, you need the preservation of the gospel. Verse 5, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And so I want to quickly do a sort of Gospel 101 now, so that I don't assume. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, you have to realize is that whenever you're thinking about the gospel, you must think about the subject, what the gospel is about, and the object, who the gospel is coming to. The subject, who is the gospel centered around? The object, 
What does that mean for the people who take that gospel? So let's take the subject. And we're going to look through the eyes of Luke. Luke, it was an, um, 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 uh, someone that accompanied Paul. And he wrote two books of the Bible, of, of the New Testament, which form about a third of the New Testament writing. The book of Luke and Acts of the Apostles. Right? So you see this thing, good news. We'll just take uh, two verses in the book of Luke. But then there are a number of verses in, in Acts chapter 10 when Peter was preaching to some Gentiles to see what the gospel is. Now, the first thing, though, you must know is this. The gospel subject is Jesus Christ. In fact, say that with me. The gospel subject, the gospel subject is, Jesus Christ. is Jesus Christ. Therefore, Therefore if, Jesus if Jesus is not in someone's gospel, it is no gospel at all. It's very clear. Do you understand? If I don't hear the name Jesus, I don't want to hear it again. I do, there's no need to listen. You say, no, you have to understand when I'm coming from. No, if Jesus is not there, I'm not listening. Neither should you. Amen? Amen? So, let's take now. But it's not just Jesus. It is also Jesus and what he did. Because you can spin Jesus to be this, Jesus to be that, Jesus to be this. Many people have met Jesus. Jesus came into their bedroom. Jesus gave them some deep revelation. Jesus, you know, with Jesus. So, let's look. There are five things about what Jesus did that are important. So Luke 2, verse 10 to 11. This is what the angel said. I bring you good news. That's gospel. What is it? Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. God became a human being and was born. Jesus was born. God incarnate. That is God putting on flesh. It was God, but at one point, God put on humanity. Remained God, but now was human. Do you understand that? The incarnation. He was born, but also now Peter is preaching to some Gentiles. Uh, Acts 10, verse 36 to 42, he says this. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through who? Jesus Christ. So he is the subject. And what was it? Who is Lord of all? So Jesus is Lord. He was born. He is Lord. All right? Uh, 39. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. So he was killed. He was crucified on a cross. That's number three. But God raised him from the dead. Number four, he was raised. He was resurrected. And number five, he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So he was born. He died. He resurrected. He ascended to be coronated. And then he is judge. He will return. I'll say that again. He was born. He died. Resurrected. He ascended to be coronated. And now he will return. So let us put all of those together and let's come up with the definition of the gospel. Are we ready? Let's say it together. The gospel is the good news that the incarnate, crucified Savior, Jesus the Messiah, is the resurrected Lord and impending judge of the world. Now, if you go through Paul, if you go through Peter, you will see sometimes they'll say, Paul, say, I wanted to know nothing among you but except Christ and him crucified. You see crucifixion there. He says, our message is this, Jesus is Lord. It's like, you see, Jesus as Lord and King there, right? So, um, you can hear him say something like, oh, I charge you, Timothy, before um, uh, 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 God and Christ, who will judge both the living and the dead at his coming. Do you see it? You can have different elements. You can have combinations. But all of those five things about Jesus and who he is is what makes up the gospel. Amen. That's the subject. It's not about you are not inserted in the gospel. You, you are not there. Only Jesus is there. And it's a good thing. It's good news that you are not there. Amen? But now, what about the object? When someone hears this message and they are 
convicted that they have not been living for themselves, that they have always been living for themselves and not for God. And as a result of that, they are deserving of God's punishment. If they are convicted in that way, and then they are now desirous, they recognize that only in Jesus can their spiritual sickness be cured, only in Jesus can their can they be saved from their eternal lostness? If they match those two things together, and on account of that, they decide to return, follow Jesus, and live for him. You see what I said. They decide to return, follow Jesus, and live for him. They have believed. They have what? Genuinely believed. In other words, belief is not just, I like this message, it sounds right, it's okay, I believe. No. Since when you believe, have you been following him and living for him? Were you convicted that actually I've been living for myself? Were you convicted that the grace of God actually is what is going to cure me from this? I can't do this by myself. Then you believe. The people that Peter was preaching to, eventually he says that they believed. If you believe, there are certain benefits that come to you. Immediately, when we say conversion, conversion means when you believe, your old way of life passes away. And now you have a new way of life. Belief leads to newness. Is it up there? Belief leads to newness. What is this newness? Once you become saved, this newness shows in three different ways. You are given a new status. Why? Because it says the people that believed, they had their sins forgiven. They received the forgiveness of sins. So you are given a new status, but also you are given a new life. It says those who believed and their sins were forgiven, you know what happened? They were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you are given new life. That Holy Spirit gives new life to you. And then also it says that they begged Peter. Peter said they should be baptized, and then they begged Peter to stay with them. In other words, there was a new community. You are placed in a new community. That same Holy Spirit that gives you life, it says that we are baptized by one spirit into one body. So with these three things, you have a new status, new life, and you are put into a new community. Are we still following? This is what it means when we are converted, what we get. And so when we follow these things, when we grow in these things, you now develop what we call spiritual maturity. That's why if you try and grow on your own without a healthy church, I am sorry for you. This is why sometimes people who have embraced the, the message of uniformity, eventually you see them, they're no longer walking with the Lord. Why? They were never really born again. They believed an inspirational message, but they didn't have the new life that sustains them. Are we together? So as we journey to all of this, the end of this all, the impact of the gospel leads to a new hope. What is that? Let me explain. My wife and I, and so those of you are married, let's say you go on a holiday with your spouse. And my wife and I go on a holiday, right? Do you know what we are trying to do with the holiday? I'll tell you straight up. What we are trying to do is to deepen our relationship. They'd be like, ah, but what about the places we want to go to? What, all the experiences, the selfies, and all these places. Yes, but all of that is we are trying to deepen our what, relationship. That's why we go together. However, because we are trying to deepen our relationship, two things are important to enable that. You know what they are? We should have sound health. We should both be healthy. And we should choose a nice environment. Because imagine. If those two things aren't there, the deepening of relationship won't happen. It would be like my wife and I going 
uh, or a holiday, and I had malaria. And then we decided to go to Ilori. Okay, all right, okay, okay. We decided to go to Mother Keke, Mother Keke. How about that, Mother Keke? Eh? Okay, we decided to go to Jabuibo. All right, right? So, because that's the, yes, all right. So, Yemi's town, we decided to go to Yemi's town. Ijebuibo, and I had malaria. What will happen in that trip? There will be no deepening of any relationship, right? And therefore, when you think about the gospel's hope, God says this, it is about an eternal dwelling with God, having resurrected existence in the new heavens and the new earth. What does that mean? It means this, as we are seated here today, some of us have physical illnesses, or we have some emotional illness or mental illness that we're dealing with, or somebody that we know is going through one issue or the other, or we are suffering heartbreak, or we are suffering, all of these things are the effect of sin in you, you as a person, in your body. And God says the final solution for that is resurrected existence. Where you'll be immortal, you can never die. Where you'll be incorruptible, you can never be sick again. You will not be making mistakes, sinful mistakes here and there. God says that you will be perfectly healthy. But the second thing is that if you are perfectly healthy and your environment, you know how they say now, he who uh, lives in glass houses should not throw stones, right? You may be very rich. If all the people around you are poor, it's only a matter of time they are coming for you. No matter how healthy you are, the environment is not good, what's going to happen is eventually come to you. God says, I will not just perfect you, I will perfect this world. But those two things are not the point. They are there to serve the purpose of the point. What is the point? That we will be eternally dwelling with God forever. And that means that every single desire that you have looked for, listen, you don't have the desires. Bible says that eyes have not seen, neither has it entered into the heart of man, what the Lord has prepared for those that love him. In other words, he's saying, do you have an expectation? Multiply by five, and it still doesn't meet what God has prepared for you. And he's saying, I will do this in the environment I have perfected, and in you have perfected, so that when you see me face to face, it will be the fulfillment of all of your desires and more. When we are converted, when we believe we have a new status, we are given a new life in a new community as we journey towards a new hope. Friends, that is what the gospel is about. Now, it's not that I presented like this to these people. Look at how Jesus presented the gospel. It is in different ways. But this is the principle that will underline any kind of story they are using to present people. You can be better. You can actually grow out of your sin. You can actually have a different worldview when you approach these things as we are going towards perfection. Amen? Amen. And that brings me to my final point. Because somebody may be thinking, watching here or being here, and you're saying something like this, because you're not a Christian, you said that, you've also explained, is the problem I have with Christianity. Or this kind of Christianity. What's the problem? He says, eternity is my problem. Eternity. You guys focus so much on the afterlife to the detriment of this life. In fact, it is a control mechanism I have seen. You focus people on the afterlife and therefore keep telling them that all that is around there doesn't matter. They should just keep giving in church. You know, I prefer a system of religion, or no religion at all, that is focused on this world and therefore cares for this world. To which I want to say, I hear you, but I'm sorry that that is the understanding you have of Christianity because it's a gross misrepresentation. 
Because actually, if I may challenge you, you say that we should care for this world. I agree with you. But why? Why? Is it inherently perceivable and observable that we should? If I ask you why, you will say, you that have no religion, you say something like, because we should. I'm like, why? He said, because I feel we should. Ooh. You feel. Some people feel that they should be sleeping with children under the age of 10. Do we just go by our feelings about what is right? No, I need a sort of logical underpinning that actually makes sense for me to be able to care about this world. Something that says unequivocally that this world matters and therefore I should care about it. You don't have one, but I think Christianity has one. Because don't you see what I was saying about the afterlife? If the afterlife is not we escaping to one heaven. If it was we escaping to heaven, then it shows us that God doesn't really care about this world. This world was temporary. But this, the afterlife we are talking about is resurrected existence for human beings and they will be living where? In this same world. In other words, that means that in Christianity, God places supreme value on human beings and in this world. It is because of our focus of that afterlife that we care for this world. The gospel shows us that God cares about this world. God cares about human beings. So how dare we, as we focus on the afterlife, not care about this? Don't you see, it is the focus on the afterlife that makes us care for this life. And that is what is demonstrated in this Galatian passage. Because the background is that there was a terrible famine. You can read about it in Acts 11, 27 to 30. There was a terrible famine that swept the whole Roman world. But the Gentile Christians had more money. And so people, Paul and Barnabas, had taken money and they were going to the Judean churches to help them. And it was there that they had this meeting. And that is why in verse 10, it says this, which seems disconnected, but it's very connected in verse 10. Did you read it? All they asked of Paul was that we should continue to what? Remember the poor. And Paul says, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Paul and the apostles were not just united in the substance of the gospel, they were united in the implications of the gospel. Paul says, this same Paul, remember Jesus that appeared to Paul and converted him? Jesus said to Paul, he says, when you are persecuting the church, he says you are persecuting who? He so identified with the church. I said, you are persecuting me. This same Jesus, on the final day entering into eternity, said he will sit in judgment and he will look at some people. He will say, go into eternal fire. Why? He said, because when you neglected the poor, in the church and out of the church, you know what he said? You neglected me. To others, he said, come into eternal life. He said, because you fed me, you clothed me. And you're like, what do you mean by that? And I, I didn't see you and I said, because when you did it to any one of these, uh, the least of these, that is, these poor, these people that, is, that, that are vulnerable, when you did it to any of these, the least of these, you did it for me. You did it to me. He identifies with the poor. Don't you understand? These apostles were not saying this thing as an add-on, a tack-on to Christianity. They were saying it because it flowed from the gospel. Christians focus on eternity, care for this world. Yes, we are converted by the gospel, but the Holy Spirit given to us transforms us in line with this gospel. What do I mean by that? I'll close with this. Paul says, 
he was talking to some Christians, trying to encourage them in generosity in a place called Corinth because he wanted to go and help support some other churches. And he wants to motivate them in the grace of giving. In verse 7 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, he says this. He said that you, I want you to excel in this grace of giving. Since you excel in everything, see that you excel also in this grace of giving. Why? It's not, the Bible always tells you the why before, after it tells you the what. Why should you excel? You know what he says? Look at the gospel. Look at the gospel. And he's like, where is it? And I want to read this verse to you because this is a verse that has been perverted, but we will restore and we will renew it once again. Listen to what he says. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This isn't talking about how you can get materially rich. This is what he's saying. Jesus, who was the Lord of all, Jesus, who is God eternal, all of a sudden identified with our, our poor estate, we as human beings. That is, Jesus went from eternity and went into the temporal. Jesus, who was divine, put on humanity. Jesus, who owned everything in the world for the cattle of the seven hills are his. And all of a sudden he said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus became poor. He identified with us in our estate. Why? He saw our spiritual poverty. He came to identify with it so that he could give us his material wealth and his spiritual wealth. That's why he says, if you believe in Christ, you are seated with him where? In heavenly places. That you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. He saves you from a condemn, eternal, an eternal condemnation where you will, you will be more poor than you've ever been. And he brings you into this eternal, blissful future. That is the gospel. And he says, if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that, what will you now do with your own material wealth? Will you not use it, what? To lift up those who are materially poor. Do we understand? And so as a church, you have, no, you have no option. That's why we as a church, we do the best that we can. We have a mercy ministry, we have a jubilee fund that we use to support people both inside the church and outside the church. To the glory of God, we, spread, we sent out about 4,700 meals last year. We covered people's hospital bills. We paid for people's rent. We paid for people's uh, 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 school fees. So many different things. Again, I'm not saying this to boast. I'm saying that we don't have a choice but to do that. Because it is an implication of the gospel. If your gospel does not have implications for all of these things, then you should divide over that gospel. We're not just only called to be united in the substance of the gospel, we are called to be united in the implications of the gospel. Amen? So the gospel doesn't just speak to this, the gospel speaks to our work. That's why in our gospel communities we are going through a curriculum called gospel-centered work because the gospel has implications for how you work and all the difficulties that you go through in your work and how you think about it. It has implications. But it has implications for marriages. It has implications for parenting. It has implications for singleness. Even delayed singleness. It has implications for sexuality. It has implications for forgiveness, for our citizenship, for our friendship. You name it. Why? Because... Christians focused on eternity must definitely care for this world. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit 
www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos. <music>